This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rob Manford, your proposal is absurd for too many reasons to type on Twitter. Proofs you have absolutely no clue about baseball. Honestly, uh, no matter how much I disagree with a player, I'd never say something that disrespectful about a player. Never. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred. Presented by Geico. When today's guest was 10, he went to his first baseball game at Yankee Stadium and saw the great Mickey Mantle slug two home runs for the last time in his career. That family outing made him passionate about the sport, although he'd never thought he'd make it his career. However, 30 years later, in 1998, he started working for Major League Baseball, and ultimately, in 2015, he became its 10th commissioner. It's my pleasure to welcome back the pride of Rome, New York, Rob Manford, the commissioner of baseball. Rob, great to see you. You sit in a very powerful seat. And that seat is uh, something that, you know, I don't think people can understand the pressure that comes with that seat, which I believe is a, is a privilege. But you found baseball back when you were 10 years old at Yankee Stadium, all places. What, what's your recollection of that and the significance of that of where you sit today? My father was a huge Sports fan, but Yankee fan in particular. I mean, we watched a lot of Yankee baseball growing up. And the idea that, you know, he brought us down to New York, it was a huge weekend for us as a family. Um, And, you know, I really do remember walking up and seeing the field for the first time. And it makes an amazing impression on kids. And, um, you know, it was one of the great weekends of my youth. I mean, it really was. Um, We saw two games, actually. We saw Mantle the first day. And then um, it was Mel Stottlemyre's big year, right? He had a great year. He he had a great ERA, won 21 games, I believe. And um, they lost three to two. Mantle hit two solo shots. So we 
came back the next day, and I'm thinking, Sotomayor, we're going to see the Yankees win. He lasted two innings, gave up oh. 11 <laughs> runs. Uh, it was his worst outing of the year. So That obviously had an impression on you. Yeah, it, it had a huge impression on me. I mean, it, it was part of our life growing up. Regardless of what sport you played, it seemed like when I was growing up, Everybody had a connection to baseball. Um, I go to Williamsport every year. You know, we now have the Little League Classic. And they do a phenomenal job in that under-12 space for us. And, you know, it really is for the benefit of the industry. And I would say that's one of the best moves you've ever made is to bring a game there to Williamsport and celebrate the great game of baseball that way. That's a good thing. It is a so, great So you should be uh, allotted for that one. You know, it was interesting. One of the things that did happen, you went to a Phillies game. You were still a young lawyer, right? right. And this was on the eve, I guess, of a lockout or a strike. Yeah, it was the 81 strike. It was the 81 it, strike. Right. Pete Rose was about to break, I, it was the National League hit record. It was right. not the okay. overall record. So someone um, in the law firm gave us tickets at the last minute, and it was still when you went to Will Call to pick right. up your tickets, right? It was different, again, a different era. Yeah. So I'm standing at Will Call with three buddies, and um, there's this huge roar. And we realized that Rose has gotten a hit, and he's tied the record. So mm-hmm. we're thinking, we're going to get in, we're going to see him actually break the record. So we get in the stadium. He struck out four times against Nolan <laughs> Ryan. It was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, well, struck out four times. So, but but uh, what happened? Was that, were they on the precipice of a strike? They went on strike the next day. I can remember going to work, yeah. and um, I was working in the labor area with Morgan Lewis, the firm I eventually joined, and I can remember reading the paper that day and talking to some of the guys in the office and I remember saying, you know, I kind of like my labor relations and my sports separate. Um, And it didn't quite turn out that way. (laughs) As Bud Seelig's point person on labor negotiations, Rob Manford worked with the Players Association on the collective bargaining agreements of 2002, 2006, and 2011. He also dealt with the umpire walkout of 1999, of which umpire's union lawyer Larry Gibson said this. I don't know if you remember this, Rob. I pity the person who's unprepared or unskillful in dealing with him, (laughs) meaning you. Uh, And I would think that... uh, uh, that was quite a, a learning experience. It, it was. It was a really um, surprising development. We, we were away at the All-Star Game, and at that time, the American League and the National League actually dealt with the umpires. They had their own lawyers. Separate. Uh, Everybody separately, was separate, right? Yeah. And, you know, I worked for the commissioner's office. Well, we came back from the All-Star Game, and all of a sudden the it was fax machines and email wasn't quite the same. And, you know, all these faxes started coming in um, with the umpires resigning. Uh, Bud decided it was time to kind of consolidate the troops. At the end of the day, we ended up in a better place as an industry. Um, I think the umpires actually ended up with a better union. Yeah. But as often the case with labor, you know, there's casualties. Uh, you were hired in-house as a lawyer by Bud Selig, and right. you got involved in all of this stuff. And you were one of the first ones that had to negotiate the first drug agreement with the Players Association. It's beyond me that there wasn't a drug agreement prior to the steroid era and then how difficult it was to come to an agreement with the players about the steroids and the PEDs and everything moving forward. How hard was that? It was very difficult. I mean, first of all, you have hats off. Um, Don Fear, Gene Orza, the people at the MLBPA ran a great union. I mean, they, they were a strong, powerful, yeah. Yeah, really powerful union. And at the end of the day, is the players came to the realization, those players that were playing clean, and there were a lot of them, 
um, came to the realization they didn't want to be competing against guys who were using PEDs. I mean, the problem yeah. with PEDs, they work. The one thing I will say in regards to that steroid issue, it comes up every year right around the Hall of Fame time, the right. Hall of Fame votes. Do you think any of those guys will get into the Hall of Fame that are alleged users? I think that the writers have done a really good job of making judgments about who ought to be recognized with baseball's highest honors. And um, I think they'll continue to do that. Rob Manfred has said that it's important for the game to continue to modernize. The modernization has to proceed at a pace that allows us to be very respectful of the traditions of the game and keeps us from making hasty errors. But is baseball today the same as it was when you were a kid? I mean, it has changed, hasn't it? When you look at uh, the way the game is played today, it is so different than even 20 years ago. More home runs, way more strikeouts, less stolen bases, less hits. Almost rare to see right. someone swing at a first pitch when people used to do it all the time. So the game's changed as a result of people making changes to try to win a few more games. I think the real question for us is, how do we manage that change and make sure that we put the best possible product on the field. How about expanding the playoffs now? I know that's been floated out there. Mm -hmm. Now you're the voice of baseball, so you're the right. one has to float these things. So you're the ones that has you're the one has to deal with the slings and arrows of people coming after you. How are they messing with our game? What's behind the thinking of expanding the playoffs and you know doing it the way that you're doing? I like the fact that you're going to go to back to a three game series as opposed to a one game takes all. I don't like that mm -hmm. anyway. One of the problems with the one game playoff is to go for that wild card spot, you get into a one game winner take all, and it may not even be your home game. Okay. So we thought a broader group of teams qualifying for the playoffs would make more teams try to compete. Um, and we also thought making it two out of three takes away that, you know, you refer to it, it's kind of random, right? Exactly. You win one game, particularly listen, in our game. Listen, right? if you want to come into City Field and play against Jacob DeGrom and the Mets, have at it. But the, the, the chances of you having a better record and going up against a pitcher like that in a one-game series and losing it are pretty good. Right. And I, I think that um, the basic structure mm -hmm is really well thought out in terms of the incentives. You win, okay, mm -hmm. you get a buy, you don't have to play in that first round, that's a great right. thing. Um, you, you get something um, by being the second or third best team, the ability to select your opponent. You get a home game, yep. um, which, you know, you're playing, a good thing. Yeah, yes. you're playing your three-game series at home, right? Like yes. you play a normal series. That's a big thing to compete for. And then, of course, more teams competing just to get in. So those incentives are all lined up. The selection shows kind of, um, I understand it's different, um, but, you know, we have a society where people like events. And um, we think the idea of a show where people kind of get to show, deci yes. decide, um, make a informed decision as to who they're going to play would be something that would interest our fans. We may or may not turn out to be right about that. I know. Uh, we just swelled that idea now. But I do want to hit you with this. And this is something that came from one of your players. Now, he's a little bit off the wall anyway. But you, I'm sure you've heard this. This comes from Trevor Bauer. No idea who made this new playoff format proposal. But Rob is responsible for releasing it. If so, I'll direct this to you. Rob Manford, your proposal is absurd for too many reasons to type on Twitter. Proofs you have absolutely no clue about baseball. Well, look, let me say this. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm pretty good yeah. about people 
disagreeing with an idea. You learn from that back and forth. You know, people um, state their views, you think about them, you try to take them into account. I'm good with that. Um, you know, honestly, uh, no matter how much I disagree with a player, yeah. I'd never say something that disrespectful about a player. Never. On November 12, 2019, former Houston Astros pitcher Mike Fires publicly alleged in an article written by Ken Rosenthal and Evan Drellick published in The Athletic that the 2017 Astros had engaged in sign-stealing methods that violated MLB rules. Two months later, Rob Manfred issued his public report on a scandal that has been the talk of baseball this offseason. And this offseason is amazing for you guys. I mean, it's nonstop. And... Uh, let's, I guess let's start with Mike Fires. There were rumblings prior to Mike Fires coming out that mm -hmm. Houston was doing something. And I know mm -hmm. that there were complaints to the commissioner's office, but right. it took Mike Fires as a whistleblower in the athletic article. Um, why did it take a whistleblower, a former player, or a player in this case, to do that to initiate the commissioner's office to get involved? I have to correct the to get involved. Okay. We did receive... Um, over a period of time, you know, starting in 17, complaints, but they were not all about the Astros. Let me be clear about that. We investigated each and every one of those complaints. Um, but as is often the case when you investigate after the fact, um, we were not able to substantiate any of the complaints. Uh, and like I said, it was not just the Astros. There's other people right. as well. In an investigation, you often need help from somewhere, and it's often a whistleblower, and that's what happened in this case. And so you, you, you would hope that more players would come forward in situations such as this to make sure that the game remains clean. Yeah, what I'd really hope, um, and, you, you know, I think starting with the decision in 2017 um, involving the Yankees and the Red Sox and the use of an Apple Watch, I, what I really hope is our managers, our field managers, our general managers, take responsibility for making sure that um, players are doing the right thing, abiding by the rules. Um, we all know athletes are really competitive people um, by nature. That's part of what makes well, them great. You know, we live in a, we have to win in order to keep our jobs. That's our mentality. That's our insecurities. Right. And it's in a win-at-all-cost attitude that permeates a lot of athletics. That's why I thought it was so important. Um, when I wrote in 17 to I explain whose responsibility it was. I don't think you can rely on players to always do the right thing. It's general managers, field managers, and all the way up to owners to make sure that their organizations are doing the right thing. Right. You know, you actually wrote in that report that this was player-driven, and mm -hmm. then after the report comes out, after your initial penalties come out, the Wall Street Journal decides to write an article that claims that it went up all the way to Jeff Lunau, and maybe even higher than that, maybe the owner even knows about this. Uh, well, Jim, let me be clear about that. Um, you know, we found no indication that Jim knew anything about what was going on or had any role in it whatsoever. And, you know, I'm really confident um, that we're right about right. that. Jim Crane, the owner of Jim the Houston Crane, Astros. Jim Crane, the owner of the, uh, the Astros. Um, with respect to Jeff Luna, obviously what they wrote in the Wall Street Journal was what we found. I mean, it was right. based on documents that, that, that came from us. You have to understand, though, um, they were talking about this code breaker system, okay? Yes. So the code breaker system, um, when used outside the game, when you look at film, and you break a code, uh, uh, the, the series of signs that are being used by a team, that's actually legal 
under our rules, okay? So the fact that Jeff knew about that doesn't mean that he knew it was being used. In During an, the game. It, yeah, which made it illegal. Right. Um, those were some of the very, very difficult factual issues that um, we had to grapple with in terms of um, deciding who ultimately should bear the responsibility. Right, and so now comes, you know, the whole uh, aspect of social media. You have people like John Boy on Twitter that are going back and listening to bangs when people are pitching. You have you actually now have a lawsuit that's been filed by a former player against right. the Astros. Uh, a lot of other things that may still come out of this, the collateral damages we were talking about earlier. When you put down your penalty, mm-hmm. are you also trying to say to everybody else in baseball, look, you know, you you, you got to stop. And if you don't stop, you're going to pay a dear penalty like the Alex Kors of the world, the Carlos Beltrons of the world, and the Jeff Lunaus of the world, and, of course, A.J. Hinch, of course. Yeah, when we, when we have a problem like this, um, we try to think about it in two pieces. Um, the penalty has to be a deterrent to future behavior of this type. And, um, you know, people can always debate you know, was it enough? Was it not enough? Whatever. The fact of the matter is, you look at the fallout from this, you had a general manager lost his job. A manager in Houston lost his job. Two other managers lost their jobs over that. I think that's a pretty good deterrent. But the second piece, and we're still working on exactly what it's going to look like for this year, you need go-forward change. And I think one of the things you're going to see is putting additional distance between all video and players during the game. Yeah, I always figure somebody's always looking for a loophole somewhere to try to get an advantage. Um, Other than all of this other stuff, you know, you're going to have a game that you're going to play in a cornfield. And this is like going back to, like, you know, where it all began, which I think is another great idea, you know, much like uh, getting together with the Little League and trying to do a game of this magnitude has got to be uh, very fulfilling for you, and hopefully it's going to turn out to be great. Well, we're thrilled uh, about the reception that the idea of the game has gotten. I think it's a reflection of something we talked about before. You know, you think about this a movie that, holds a really special place in our culture and the idea of playing a game at the site of that movie taps into that feeling that so many people have. How many tickets do you have for that? I think we're going to be around 8,000. 8,000 tickets for this? We have actually been tried to be really disciplined about what we're doing with tickets. Um, It's uh, we have huge, huge demand, and, you know, it's just a question of what you can physically build in a temporary, you know, it's yeah, completely sure, temporary, yeah. right? But, but I think it's a great idea. You talk about creating events for your baseball fans, and it's also creating other things around the, which which you can sell and stream and all that other stuff, but I would think this is, like, one of the better ideas. Tony Petiti, one of the two um, deputy commissioners, this um, and William Sport were actually Tony's ideas. He's a really creative guy. Um, he, he, you know, he's had this concept for a while that we should take our game places that we don't ordinarily play it. Yeah. It makes, you know, one of our 2,430 regular season games into an event, and that's a good thing for our sport. Well, I know the NHL does that. The NBA is trying to do that, and certainly the NFL has done it as about as good as anybody. So hopefully that will work out. Here's a quote by Rob Manfred. I hope the biggest game in the game is that the people are now saying that Major League Baseball owns the next generation. Everything we're trying to do is about that, and I hope to have enough time and enough help to get that done. So really, what are the challenges for you as you move forward here trying to grow your game? Well, I think the same challenges that most entertainment products um, face, you know, sports, movies, whatever, 
the Gen Z uh, millennials, they are a tough sell. Um, they like events. Um, they have a lot of options, and you have to make sure that you have a product that you're offering to them that they want. You know, there was one other thing that you did say this offseason that you were looking at shrinking the minor leagues. Mm -hmm. And I know that Congress was not very happy with you when that came out. What's mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the status of that and the future of the minors? Look, um, we are going to continue to have um, a very robust minor league system. Um, and in fact, the proposal that we made was a proposal that would continue baseball in every single community where it exists. Um, our proposal was directed at improving the working conditions for our players that we send into minor league facilities where the owners have not invested appropriately in those facilities, particularly in player-related areas. Um, I'm confident that we're going to make an agreement that will be satisfactory to the parties over the long haul, but trying to portray this dispute is about shrinking the minor leagues right. is really not accurate. Well, you know, we, we live in a political world. Everybody's got to get their angle out there. We know that. Well, Rob, good luck, and I appreciate you coming on here. I know a couple tough questions, but you're always up for the answer. Thank you so much. It's great to see appreciate you, Boomer. It. All right. Our thanks to Rob Manford for joining us today and to all of you out there for watching on Boomer Esiason, and I'll see you again real soon right here on Game Time with Olympic figure skating gold medalist Brian Boitano. Uh, done. I'm willing to bet you, however, that your Little League career was better than mine. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I'm not a terrible athlete. I was not a great baseball player, I have to confess.